Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hello, everybody. I am so happy you're here. Today is designed to feel like that cozy neighborhood potluck where you can ask questions and be among friends. And if we had slow cookers, they'd be invited too. So welcome. (laughs) Get comfortable, be warm and cozy, and just I hope you can enjoy this afternoon with us. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking about what would be in my crock pot if I brought a crock pot. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Julie Kingsley. We're delayed to welcome our special guest today. We have Paige Wheeler, president and founder of the Creative Media Agency. Paige, tell us about yourself. Everyone, I'm Paige Wheeler, president and founder of Creative Media Agency. I've been in publishing for, I hate to say almost 30 years, but almost Mm. 30 years. I started on the editorial side, working in publishing, which was a great way to start off. And then I just loved the idea of being an agent and being an author's advocate. So I switched to the agenting side, but I actually switched to be a television agent. So I used to represent writers, producers and on-camera celebrities for TV and as well as writers for books. So that was a really interesting couple of years getting into the business that way. I hung out my shingle, started Creative Media Agency, ran that for about eight years, then decided to start Folio, ran that with my two business partners for about eight years, relaunched Creative Media Agency because I wanted to go boutique and really focus on my authors. And I've been doing that and love working with all the fabulous writers that come my way. Yay! Okay. So interesting, Paige. (laughs) We're so happy you're here. So uh, for the people listening from home, we have a whole host of guests here today. We'll ask some of our standard questions. And then if the writers here would like to ask questions, we'll call them up. And of course, we have the questions people sent in ahead too. Yeah. And and you guys, please note that we always try to prioritize the questions that apply to the most writers just via fairness. Mm -hmm. So we just want to be most helpful to everyone out there. So Paige, how did you get started in publishing and how did you know you wanted to work in publishing? So as I was mentioning my little intro, I loved reading books like most of us in this business did, right? But I didn't know that there was a career as an agent. I did a little bit of work my senior year of college. I was working in a couple of bookstores in Boston and I was hanging out at the career center of my university and I discovered there's this thing called a literary agent. So I sent a resume off to the, which is now AALA, but the former version of the AALA saying, hey, do you have a job not knowing? it's really volunteer workers. But I filed that in the back of my mind that, wow, this is really interesting. This is an avenue for me to explore because I just love the idea of working with authors and books. I did work in London, my first job, and I Mm. actually worked in publishing for a company called Euromoney, but that was mostly financial publishing. So not as really scintillating as one would like, but it was a great introduction. When I moved back to the US, I actually got my first job as it happens through a connection and boyfriend of mine, couldn't get his first job. So he happened to be working at Tiffany's of all things in corporate sales, which is kind of funny. And an HR director of a publishing company came in to buy a corporate gift, handed him her card. And he said, oh, I have a friend who'd love to work there. And she said, tell her to give me a call. We have an open 
opening. He immediately called me. What a good ex-boyfriend, right? He immediately called me and said, hey, there's an opening. And it was one of those, everything fell into place. I called, it worked out. I took the test. I interviewed and they hired me on the spot. So that was exciting. <laughs> I love that. That's I know, amazing. I know. It was really amazing. And it was my dream job and I loved it and I enjoyed it so much. I found my people, right? When you find your people, you know it. And I said, I found my people. Everyone in publishing is always smart and enthusiastic and supportive. So I just, I loved it. So interesting. The, yeah, we love, this, we love the stories of just like, well, there I was and all of a sudden I was in it. We share those stories sometimes. It's because you're just meant to do it, right? It's just like books and you and stories right. hand in hand. Right. So we're always curious too. Tell us about you when you're not working. What's your secret pleasures or interests oh, when you're not working? I have two kids. So I feel like instead of having a lot of hobbies, I'm managing my kids' hobbies, right? And that's what happens when you have kids. But I do have a secret hobby, a secret addiction that's not going to be so secret is I'm absolutely addicted to K-dramas right now. I am on Netflix one, two in the morning. I am... <laughs> Still, you know, hitting next episode, hitting next episode for these K-dramas, which are just so much fun. I guess I started that little addiction this spring and it's still going strong. I must have seen probably 20 different K-dramas and they're all, they're like summer 16 episodes, a few are 12, but some are even longer than that. And each one's an hour. So that's a lot of time I'm investing into them, but it's been a little secret passion lately and it's a lot of fun. Otherwise, you can find me on the soccer field. My daughter's doing horseback riding. I get together with my friends. We have a book club, of course. Last night I was playing Bunko, drinking <laughs> wine, which until I moved to the suburbs, I didn't even know what Bunko was because you don't do things like that in New York City. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. So what would you do in a world where publishing did not exist? No, I've thought about that. Actually, when I was still just a newbie in publishing, I'd only been working there a couple of years. I took classes at both Parsons and Pratt, and that was a lot of fun. So I was taking interior design classes, which kind of went with my addiction to HGTV. That was before HGTV, actually. So I kept thinking of myself as a designer somewhere with that. But to be honest, I don't think I'm that creative. I looked around and I saw what all my other classmates were doing because I took three or four classes and they were definitely thinking outside of the box. And I realized eh, maybe I'm a little too staid for, <laughs> for interior design, but that would have been fun. But I do love working with authors and working with books. So maybe I jump to another side of the table and work in a bookstore. I think that Ooh. sounds like fun. That does sound like fun. Doesn't that sound like fun? I loved it when I was doing it in college. So the thought of owning my own bookstore it just sounds, sounds yeah. dreamy. It's a fantasy, right? You can just sit and touch the books all day and just read Smell them and them. tell people to read books. And would you like some coffee? And I'm sure it's the beer tap. It'd be so fun. I know it sounds fun. I'm sure the nitty gritty, though, is a lot more difficult to manage and navigate. But right. I like the dream world of running a bookstore. Me too. I actually <laughs> had like a room where you could smell books. Like here's a paper rack from the 1960s. Here's one from the 1970s because they all have that different smell. Right. The smell. Now, because I have kids, I do get them bringing home those books from the Scholastic Book Club, right? Do you remember that? And they would like mm. smell. I love that. I think it's the glue, but yeah. It's the glue. Would you tell us the story of the first time you saw one of your books for sale? And it's so funny you say one of your books because as agents, we do take ownership of these books, right? People laugh at me and I always say, well, 15% of that book is mine. 
point. <laughs> but when I am working on a book, I do feel like it is partly mine. And I think when I first saw a book I worked on was actually when I was on the editorial side and I was in a bookstore on the Upper East Side in New York. And I was just so excited. And I did the thing that we all do. I immediately put all the copies face out. <laughs> rearranged it. And then I went to all the other bookstores in the area and made sure that the copies were face out. And again, this was before we really had great phones, cameras on our phone. So otherwise I would have taken a picture, but I've done that. I still do that recently. If I see an author's book in Hudson News or something, I will absolutely take a picture and send it to the author and say, look what I just saw on my way to my flight. So that's always yeah, That's nice. I love that. It's fun. It's fun. It's always a little secret thrill, right? Seeing your baby out in the world. Yeah. Can you tell us about something that you would change your mind about with all of this time in the industry? You know, the first thing that popped into my head was audio. Back when I first started, audio was something that people really didn't take seriously or focus on or spend a lot of effort thinking about. And it's amazing what the past eight years or so have really shown us the possibility of audio. Of course, that's really because you can download it back when I started. It was the CDs in the back of the book, right? Where there were the actual physical copies. But I think the availability to download audio has really transformed the industry. The ability to just put in earpods and go about your business, whether it's mowing the lawn, doing laundry, or just working at your desk and listening to an audiobook has been amazing. But it's also created another revenue stream for so many authors. And what's been fun is those backlist titles where the public publisher wasn't interested in grabbing audio, or maybe we weren't able to sell, there can still be life to audio. So that's been something that has been interesting to witness. It's a subsidiary right that really wasn't popular when I was selling at the beginning mm. that has really come into vogue and has been quite useful. Well, and it's so interesting too, because it could have been that everyone was looking at these set of CDs, which are heavy and like $50, right? Weren't they right, very right. expensive? And you They're had very to, expensive. you know, pop went out, pop went in. And <laughs> of course, people weren't buying this huge thing they had to carry around that was $50 instead of the book. So maybe on the publishing side, they're like, ah, we sold a couple hundred copies audio doesn't work only right. because of a format issue, which is so exactly. interesting. Exactly. So the technology really opened up a subsidiary right that was always there, but made it way more accessible. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. I love that. One thing we mentioned, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we are talking a lot about craft this semester. Mm -hmm. Do you have a miniature craft moment or thought that you could share with us? No. <laughs> what I do... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, no. But what I do have, I was just talking about this recently because we're actually creating podcasts for CMA. We were discussing craft briefly. So I was talking about some books that I would recommend when we were talking about crafts. So I pulled a couple books now just to emphasize books that I often recommend. And one of my favorite is Stephen King's own writing. So I really love that book. I thought it's just a terrific book if you want to get into the craft of writing, the writing business. I just think that's fabulous. I like Don Moss's writing the breakout novel. That's another one that a lot of people know about. But Francine Prose's Reading Like a Writer is also another terrific book to really get into the nitty gritty of prose and look at some great writing. And here's a good example of when you're having trouble with this issue. Here's how it's done well and executed well. And then Stein on Writing. Saul Stein's Stein on Writing is another classic that I think is excellent. So if you don't have that in your library, definitely grab that as well. So I just wanted to mention those four. 
for something else on craft. Each person has their own journey and their own struggles. And so that's why it's often difficult to talk in a helpful way about craft because what may help one person isn't what someone else is struggling with. What I will say though, is that authors should always be trying to write better. I don't think any author should just assume that they've reached the pinnacle of success. And what works now may be something that is very different than what worked, let's say 20 years ago. And you can see that when you pick up an older novel and it feels old, right? The language, the word choice that was used isn't something that we'd really use now, or it feels dated. It's not just items mentioned. It's the way the novel is structured. One example of that is the slow start. So many books now, you need to start a little more quickly and jump into the book than the way books are written 20, 30 years ago. And that's something that writers have to keep up on what's really popular nowadays and what is really working in the marketplace nowadays. Another way to look at that is going back to movies because it's also true with movies. Having kids, I tried to show my daughter the old Walt Disney movies and those just take so long to get started, to get into the moment and to get into the action that, you know, my kids didn't like those older movies. You notice now with today's movies for kids, they just jump right into it. The same thing is true for writing. I think there's a lot less patience for that slower build. Not all, there's exceptions, but in general. So the craft of writing and the way you tackle a book, one thing I want to state is that it does change over time. And an author always has to be on their toes and aware and being able to pivot and keep up with times. But in terms of story structure, in terms of characterization, setting, all of that is something that constantly needs to be worked on. The one thing I find is very difficult to try and teach is voice. And that is really what I find. If I fall in love with a voice, it's magical. But how do I teach voice, right? I can't tell someone, this is what you have to do to get great voice. So that's yeah, that's a little part. like saying just add magic, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> While you were saying that, so I think a lot about those charts that show time. So as we're having the faster opening, that's happening while attention spans, I suppose, going down. But exactly. in a, on a more depressing front, what if it's because there are more agents getting more work, so they need to get into it faster. So then there's more work for editors. So everyone who's choosing the work along the way needs something that gets there fast too. Or Maybe. the pace of life is going faster. It's really interesting. I think about all these things changing over time as like a graph. Are they rising at the same time like right. that? But also those graphs are often deceptive. Yeah. I think it's our attention span. I really do. I think we just, we have so much we want to consume and we're living a faster pace of life. So the books have to keep up and the movies and everything else, everything that's consumable for me. Yeah. I was going to say that too. I think that we're all, we're consuming television and movies in a way, in a full slices, almost like a book. So I mm -hmm. think our brains are kind of activated for that early grab by the judge that you definitely see on Netflix or Hulu or something like that because exactly. they have to get you moving fast. You're just not going to keep with it. And that's just the game. Why don't we jump into some questions? Claire, why don't you come on down and ask your question? Hi, Claire. Hello. <laughs> I was asking about along those lines of what we're looking for, your sort of turn-ons and turn-offs in opening pages because I know there's some people that say you've got to have like something on, on page one and then there's other advice that says within your first four pages and then there's some people that's like it does doesn't matter. And I know it's just a project to project thing, but I want your take on that. It is very subjective, but I was just commenting to my staff that I feel that those openings where they try and set the scene, it was a dark and stormy night, for example. But I do see a lot of newbie writers 
submitting material where they start off trying to describing the weather or describing the day in the first paragraph. And I often pause and go, have a side, going, oh, okay, and then get into it to see maybe it'll pick up or maybe this was just a stumble or maybe it's absolutely relevant to the rest of the story. But that is the one thing that I've noticed has become a little bit of a pet peeve with opening pages. But otherwise, there's nothing in particular that really stands out. Does that answer your question, Claire? Yes, that answered my questions for turnoffs. What about turn on? Again, I think voice, if I can grab that voice within that first page, which is very challenging, but if you're able to do it, if I can almost hear the character talking in my head, and I'm talking novels, of course, not nonfiction, then that's amazing. And I think you do that with dialogue, really having an ear for dialogue and being able to convey that in writing. That's terrific. Or if you can present predicament right up front, that already like, Oh, that's challenging. How are we going to get out of that in the first couple of pages, right? So I think that's fun. That'll keep me turning the pages. We have a related question about dialogue. Liz, come on down. I like to pretend we're on a game show set. I think it'd be super fun. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Liz. I have heard that you shouldn't start with dialogue. I have dialogue at the very beginning contextualized in the next sentence. It's very quick, but I like it as a sort of meta-esque kind of thing. How do you feel about that? can be difficult. I understand why people say that because if you start right off, you don't even know how to form that voice in your head, right? There's no context. You have to often build context around dialogue, but it's one of those things I have to see on the page to see whether it works or not. It sounds like a cop-out, but it's so true. I even say this in pitches. You know, when people pitch me, the pitch is great, but I really need to see it on paper to see whether it's successful or not. So I'm going to sound like I'm doing a Texas two-step around your question by saying I need to see it in writing, but it can be very difficult. I think I have seen it executed successfully, but it is very difficult. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Kind of related question from Amy. Come on down. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about my voice, but I don't feel comfortable mentioning that in a query letter. It just seems weird. Like it's kind of like a sense of humor. Everybody thinks they're funny, but not everybody <laughs> is. That's so true. <laughs> is that something that I should just let speak for itself in my pages? I think you should probably let it speak for yourself in your pages, but if you want to toot your own horn, you can always say, hope you love it. People told me my voice is great, but I'll leave it up to you to decide. You know, you could say something like that. Okay. I love that as a compromise. People have told me blank. I like that. <laughs> you don't have to say my voice is hilarious. My voice is. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. But I love a funny query versus a I'm funny. People have asked me, how should I approach queries? There have been some successful queries where like they've taken the tone of the character. Authors have rolled the dice and tried to be experimental in their queries. And when it's done successfully, I love to laugh out loud and it can grab my attention. But you run the risk of also coming across as a little odd or weird. Well, that's you true. I think I mean more like the query is witty. The sentences are varied and snappy and fun versus I am writing to you from this planet underground 5,000 <laughs> years from now. Um, have, you those, have you received those queries? Oh, of course. Who doesn't? Okay. Everyone right, gets something. Right. Um, or, you know, the ones where it's deeply in a character's point of view, I think is generally difficult. But there are so many ways of going about it. And I'm sure every so often it works. So related to that, one of the questions from someone who couldn't be here live today, what is the last book that made you laugh out loud? I love to laugh out loud. I think it would have to be either Lizzie Blake's Best Mistake, which I read on the plane. So it's always embarrassing when you're like snort laughing on the plane. Everyone's looking around you. And then Emily Henry's Book Lovers. I think I laughed out loud at that one. We well. loved that too. She was on our podcast. She was really fun to talk with. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good writing. one. Yeah. Yeah. So 
And so that's that, the one that I believe does involve an actual literary agent. Is that- yes, as opposed to Beatree. Yes, book lovers. So a lot of people don't understand what we do for a living, right? And so now that this book is out, I can say, now you know. Now you know <laughs> what a literary agent is. <laughs> it always makes me vaguely uncomfortable when people, because most people do get it wrong, but when it's done right, I like that. Exactly. Julie, do you want to choose another question? Yeah, I was just looking at the list. And there's so many great questions. Mm-hmm. I don't think you've talked about exactly what you're looking for right now, what's on your wish list, and things like that, if you can share with us. Sure. I represent commercial fiction, upmarket fiction, book club fiction, anything in the women's fiction, romance, also mysteries, thrillers, and suspense. And that can be upmarket writing or it could be commercial writing. I also represent nonfiction, prescriptive. I like memoirs. I like narrative nonfiction, books about entrepreneurs. That's pretty much what I represent. So it's a pretty broad range. I also represent some middle grade novels as well. And looking for a little bit of YA, which has been tough lately, but I have a freshman in high school. So looking for some YA. I think I saw in the queue, someone had mentioned these are often female protagonists. What about male protagonists? And since my son is a huge reader, I too would love to see more male protagonists in the YA marketplace and middle grade marketplace. Speaking of middle grade, Dor has a question about middle grade. What are you most excited about in middle grade? That's a great question. I mentioned a scene more books for boys because I see a lot of books for girls. I think I still like own voices for middle grade. I think that is something that interests me. I've represented both fantasy and books that delve a little bit more with realistic themes that kids of that age are dealing with. So I'm fairly open to that, a broad range, really. But strong writing is key. And also I like to see writers who have a bunch of ideas, right? Who don't have just one idea for middle grade and really see it on building a career in that area. Tara, I liked your question about dual point of view. Hey, Tara. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. My question is when you have a manuscript that's dual point of view and you go write your query letter, is it better to let an agent know this in actual words, just state it's a dual point of view or demonstrate that it's dual point of view by using a paragraph that's from the angle of each character's POV? You could do either, honestly. It's going to be what works best for you. Sometimes if you do a paragraph from each, it's it might get a little wordy, but I've seen that done and done successfully, kind of like back cover copy, right? When you okay. see the back cover copy and you see it both. So that works. Or you can just say, hey, it's dual point of view. A lot of authors have trouble handling dual point of view because they wonder, do I have to do alternating chapters? How is it handled? So okay. I'm always then prepared to see how are they going to do this? Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> extremely helpful. In the case of mine, one character is weighted more than the other character. I tried to do that in the query as well. That's fine. And that works too. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yay. I'm going to follow up. What do you look for in a bio and a query? Just since we're talking queries. Yeah. Bio can be anything because a lot of people, they don't have any writing credits. This is their first time. It really can be anything. If you have won awards or you have your MFA, definitely use that. If it is an award or contest that's very notable, mention that. If it just happens to be your regional 4-H club and you won that, I may not need to know about, right? The more nationally recognized 
recognize contests are more important to include. Same thing with whatever it may be. Let's use the example of those pitch wars. Hey, I was chosen as a mentee for pitch wars. Then mention something like that. Otherwise, just tell me a little bit about yourself. If your background relates directly to what one of the characters does, this is a story about a midwife and I'm a midwife. Great. Mention that, right? So if you can put any correlation to the story that you're writing about that happens to be in your bio, you should shout that out. Is that helpful? Also, I like to see if you do belong to professional organizations, just because I like to know that. Emily has a follow-up question about bio. Hi, Paige. Hi, everyone. So quick follow-up just on writing credentials. If any business writing counts or if that space would be more valuable, just focusing on something personal or connection if you don't have like the creative writing creds. You can mention that you write for business, but business writing, if you happen to be writing fiction, is a whole different animal. So if you want to mention that you write for a living doing this, but any agent worth their salt is going to know that that's a different part of your brain than if you're writing fiction. Now, if you happen to be writing a nonfiction book about developing the art of business writing, then of course that's key. If you want to make the connection of, oh, I have a kid with braces too, and you just want to plop that in there to make the connection, that's fine. Ultimately, what I'm really focused on are for me in the query are those sample pages, right? You could say you're a professional ventriloquist, and that's going to be funny, but what I really care about is what are the sample pages like, unless this book happens to have a ventriloquist. I like it though. I feel like one of the reasons I love working with journalists is because I'm like, yes, that's different writing, but you know what deadlines are. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's that point. Yes. They do know what deadlines are. And that's important. I will have that conversation though, if I'm interested in a writer, when I'm on the call, when we make that call to say, hey, I loved your manuscript. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. One of the questions I will ask is how long did it take you to finish this? Or how long has this process been for you before you got it into my hands? Because if someone has worked on it for you know the past five years and I'm thinking I'm going to make a two book deal, I'm going to have to consider, is it going to take them five years to write this next book, right? Something that we have to translate translate their writing ability and an author's ability to meet a deadline into actionable deadlines if I get a contract. I can feel the collective anxiety. Oh, no. Because as a writing teacher, this is my thought on that. I think sometimes writers can work on something for five years and learn everything they know within those five years that is going to make the next book flow out of them in a totally different way. You know, so that can be a deficit or it can just be a learning situation for that writer. Julie, though, I will say it is very rare that I take on and sell an author's first attempt Mm -hmm. at a manuscript. I've been this long enough to know that that often it's their fourth or fifth manuscript finally (laughs) get their legs under them, right? Right, So that first one may have taken five years, but usually they're they're writing and writing and writing. Yeah. I have sold a couple of authors' first attempts, which has been amazing, but that is not the norm. Usually by then they're able to. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that everything you need to know about writing, it's like the pacing, the characterization, the using setting to your benefit, all those things, like it takes so long to learn that. But once you get it, oh, like you can't really move faster. Oh, then it becomes the art of revisions, right? Sure, totally. Yeah. 
And that if I have a new writer, usually, and I'm doing a multi-book contract, I don't know if you do to this, Jessica, but I try and give enough leeway for the delivery date for that second book, knowing that that writer might be panicking, going, I took a long time to pull this one together. How am I going to meet this deadline? So having an honest relationship with your agent definitely needs to take place so that as we're talking about these deadlines, we can come up with a realistic date that doesn't cause an author to hyperventilate. For me, it's usually the editor who's like, oh, you're a journalist. You can do this in two weeks, right? No. <laughs> no one can do a full, thoughtful edit in two weeks. Stop it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I do love that, Faith. I love how all of you are asking questions at exactly the perfect time. Helen, come on down and talk about how long it takes to write a book. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, Paige. I think you answered my question. I do a lot of other things. I edit and I book coach. So I don't always work in a sustained way for many months. I'll go on and off. And I just worry that it seems like that is a little bit of a concern regarding a writer's focus. And I can see how you do need to know that writers will adhere to deadlines and write in a timely fashion. I think uh, each writer has a different way that they write, a different system that works for them. And I do know some writers who work in fits and starts, and that's fine too, as long as you know your system. Or I've had writers who've learned a lot about themselves as they're trying to meet deadlines. You know, some writers write a very skeletal draft and then do a second attempt and really pad it on and really expand upon that first draft, where other writers will write the first 50, 100 pages and then go back immediately and start revising those 50 pages before they go on. It, each author has their own system that works for them. And sometimes their system will evolve or sometimes they'll try different things, especially if they try to rate something different. Great. Thank you. Sure. Diana, why don't you come down and ask about how deadlines are determined? I think that's an important question too. So I'm so excited to hear Paige. Such great information. It would be great if you, just as a follow-up to what we were talking about, I was wondering how how do you, the delivery dates for the first draft and revisions get decided by the agent, writer, and editor? And, and what sort of the average length one can expect to have there? Because you said it's negotiable, but I'm sure there must be average standards and just to understand that whole process, if you could speak to it a little bit. Sure. So first, once I take on a project, I usually, and I think most agents do this, we kind of roll up our sleeves and we want to get that project in as great shape as possible. So I will usually read it and then send off my version, the agent's version of an editorial letter. And I can either put a deadline in and say, hey, I'd love to get your response back. Do you think you can turn this around in a couple months? Or I might just leave it and just let the author do it on their own. It really depends on my relationship with the author and what we've discussed. If they're having trouble, they'll reach out to me. And this may be a lot of back and forth. We may go through a couple different rounds of revisions until we're both happy with it. And we feel that that manuscript is tight as possible. Then when I'm sending it out, let's say I've sold it, that relationship is really between the editor and the author. I try and take a step back, but I have the author's back as it were. So the editor may be saying, hey, if it's a one book deal, I'm going to be sending you an editorial letter. So you're going to have to revise this material again. Uh, <laughs> and I will need this letter back by X date. And that date is really going to be predicated on when their own unique publishing schedule so if they're seeing that this book will be published in 12 months, then, and they have a lot of books coming up based on their schedule, 
that can be really flexible. They may want edits back in, let's say six weeks. It could be four weeks. It could be three months. It could be five months. It really depends on their publishing schedule. So there isn't necessarily a norm because each situation is unique. I know that's not helpful, but that is also something that the editor will ask the agent, hey, how long do you think it'll take to get this back? I have an opening that I'd like to put your book in, let's say spring 2024, because this is what we're looking at now, spring 2024. And so we will need your revisions. Let's say if this conversation took place in October, they may need revisions back by January, February. Can you do that? And you may say, no, I can't. And then that will cause them to say, okay, then maybe we should move your book to a different slot. So it's an ongoing conversation and relationship. If they say, hey, we want to buy this, we happen to have an opening in fall or let's say even summer 2023, which is pretty soon, right? Actually, <laughs> in this publishing climate, then you know that you probably have a tighter turnaround time to address the edits that the editor is going to send you and get it back. And hopefully you'll hit it if they're trying to hold open a spot because maybe a book fell out or something happened where they rejiggered and they happen to have an opening. So it's really predicated on the editor's publishing schedule and what they need for that. And this is just a matter of open communication. If the author gets stuck, if they have some sort of emergency where they can't meet their deadline, then that's a conversation where they'll call me saying, oh my gosh, this is happening. I can't meet my deadline. What am I going to do? I talk the author down and say, it's okay. Let me just bring it up with the editor and we'll discuss next steps and we'll figure out maybe we just push this book out and say, hey, we can't be in that July 2023 slot. Let's look for late spring 2024. And that, will that work? Because life happens, especially during the past three years, we've realized life happens, right? And we have to adapt to the world going on around us. So you just do the best you can. If it becomes a situation of being totally stuck, then that could be some late nights. I've had authors call me at 10 o'clock at night crying, a true story, crying, doing shots of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't figure it out what to do. And that happens too, right? Sometimes you get stuck, but you just do the best you can, right? That was a great question. I think this is a great follow-up question. This is from Laura. Can you talk to us about your ideal writer, author, and client relationship? I have a different relationship with every author that I have, but I think that each author has their own unique needs. My ideal relationship is knowing what they need so I can provide that for them. I actually like to talk on the phone so I get a sense of what they want from me and get a sense that maybe not through email, during those first couple of introductory communication, how do they want to be addressed? Do they want to only communicate by email? Once I start working with them, do they need weekly check-ins? Do they want to be left alone while they're writing their book? Do they need a cheerleader? So that whole type of communication style during the process is important to clear up. And sometimes miscommunication can happen or sometimes needs change depending on the situation. I have some authors that once they have a deadline, they go into their cave. They don't want to be disturbed. I have other authors who seem to check in with me every week. I've written the next two chapters. Everything's going well, or I'm stuck. Any advice? So it changes with each one. And the nature of the relationship with each author changes and is very different. For the most part, though, I am hands-on and I am 
friendly and low key. There are some agents out there who are only are very business-like and very professional. And I tend to be a little bit more nurturing and I'd like to think warm and accessible. That's my take on myself, but that's what I think. I think that's everyone's impression of you after today too. <laughs> we like doing this because I know it's very easy for people to think of agents as terrifying. And I think once you hear a person's voice, you get a sense that of course they are a thoughtful, multidimensional human being. Hopefully slightly terrifying to editors though. <laughs> I heard people on Twitter saying that our job was to be professionally annoying, and I liked that. I tell my husband that that is my job. I'm a nudge. I'm a professional nudge. You know, where's the money? Where are the edits? Why haven't we seen the cover yet? Sorry, I don't like this title. Can we go back to the drawing board again? What about now? What about now? I'm yeah, a nudge. such a nice tone as you're kind of going through that, you know? <laughs> it's like, you just sound nice as you're nudging. <laughs> Well, I have someone who's had the option for one of my clients' work is trying to get the script together and I'm having to reach out yet again. And I started the email with, I hate to be a professional pest, but I feel like this is my job. So I'm circling back once again to find what is the status of this, right? But I do feel like sometimes your job title is professional pest, but that's what we do. We have to keep all the balls in the air. (laughs) Well, but there's a lot between professional pest and making editors cry. Like those are two very different things. <laughs> Hopefully I do the soft sell on the professional pest and not the, oh my gosh, it's so annoying. But sometimes it's the squeaky wheel that you know gets the grease. Definitely. In terms of agents varying, Dina, would you like to ask your question? Thanks very much, Paige. And hi, Jessica. Hi. <laughs> my question was actually whether you would be willing to share some intel on your colleagues. I just mentioned in the question box that Haley is actually looking for minority voices and also magical realism. So she's on my Excel sheet and I'm curious about her, but there might be other people here who have questions about your other colleagues. So Sure. Yeah. I have two colleagues. I three, really, if you count my right-hand woman, Megan. But Haley and Shannon are my associate agents who work with me here at Creative Media Agency. And they are super smart, really terrific, and hungry, which is what everyone wants in their agent. So they are building their lists. And I think if you go on our website, which is www.cmalit.com, they've done an excellent job of really describing in great detail what they're looking for. But Haley in particular is looking for definitely diverse voices in the picture book, middle grade, YA and adult. She's doing all of it in the adult world. So if you have that, definitely reach out to her. She is tenacious and has great editorial insight. So she does a lot of heavy lifting editorially as well. I'm not sure what specific questions you may have, but I feel like on the website, she was pretty darn thorough in what she's looking for. That's always the best place to to check out. I don't want to speak for her too and say she's looking for this when maybe she just decided yesterday she doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> she's looking for really great writing. She's looking for authors who have a lot of ideas where she cannot just sell just your one book, but multiple books and really build you as a brand. And yeah, that's all I can really add to it. I don't know that she has any pet peeves yet. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure. Would you talk a moment about what happens if a writer queries the wrong agent at the agency? So say they query agent A, agent B would have been perfect. (laughs) How much regret should they be feeling? I was actually having this conversation with someone else yesterday, funny enough, and we were talking about how much do people really pass along projects? Actually, I have an intern academy that I run because we have 14 interns here and every other week we do intern academy. So we had intern academy yesterday and one of the 
interns ask the question about this. And they were asking about editors. Do editors do this? Agents do it as well. So if someone sent me a project that sounds like it might be better suited for Shannon or Haley, I would like to think that I would say, hey, this is great writing that you still have. You have good writing. You have a good premise. Everything is lining up. But really, this is more suited for Haley that I would shoot it over to Haley and have CC the author and say, hey, please take a look at this. I think you guys might be a better match than the two of us. That stated, editors say they do that as well. You know, Jessica, you might be on those editor Zooms where the whole imprint's there, right? And they're all saying, oh, we work together collaboratively. I think they do, but they don't do it as often as you think, right? And I feel like it's the same way with agents. We should do that, but I don't want to constantly be clogging up Haley's or Shannon's inbox. So I might miss a few times where maybe Haley or Shannon would like it, but instead, just to get through my pile, I just say, no, this doesn't seem right for me. That's a horrible thing to admit to, but I'd like to say I do do it. I don't do it all the time. Sometimes my inbox is just so full that I just want to get through it and try and find the gems in my slush pile, as it were. I also wish I could take so much more time to respond to authors with what didn't work, but that just doesn't make sense from a business aspect. I'd be spending a lot of time with projects that aren't making me money. So It would be interesting too if we somehow scheduled a day when the quantity was less so we could act as if we were still getting things in paper and there were 10 a day instead of 40. I miss that a little bit, like being able to actually write on the piece of paper that I'm mailing back to them. Right. Do you remember those days when you actually would mail oh, back? Yeah. And I would sometimes write, sorry, just didn't connect with the characters or sorry, but Mm -hmm. a 40,000 word thriller just is not the wrong word count. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine it now. But yeah, everyone got a handwritten note for me back then. A little something. Can't even imagine being able to do that now. Right, right. Okay. Why don't we have one more question from the pile on comps? What tips do you have for comp titles? Do you prefer specific titles? Do you like authors? Is it okay if they say specific components like the sibling relationship from title, this theme from this title? What do you prefer? So first off, I love comps. I love if you're in your query letter, you use comps because I use comps in my pitch letter to editors. Sometimes it's difficult though to find the comp, but I totally get it. So I often do the mashup. It's like, let's say Lizzie Blake's best mistake meets beach reads or something like that, right? To try and get a sense. And you can use, it's like this for tone or this for setting. It's for the fans of this author. You could do it that way. You could say the title specifically. And if you do two, that's even more helpful. Or you could say fans of these three books would like my manuscript. I'm just mentally trying to see where you see it on the bookshelf. First off, do you see this as something that's commercial or more upscale? Are you seeing this as a certain time period? if it's historical. So what are you seeing this as? Who do you think the competition, what readers are you trying to pull from? So all of that information is what I'm trying to glean when you give me comps. So just giving me comps, I'm thrilled, but making them as relevant to your work as possible is great. If you want it to be title and author, if you want it to just be author, if you want it to be a couple of authors, that's fine. If you want to be finite enough, even if you want to throw in a film example, I get it because sometimes it's hard to find a book example. That's fine too. I just want to mentally kind of figure out what you're shooting for. And sometimes you think you're writing towards a particular market and it's good, but it's that's not really what I see it as. And that might be another conversation to have. Maybe you think you've written literary fiction 
And I feel like that's, it's not quite hitting the mark, but it's good writing, right? We'd like to close up by asking you what your number one tip for writers is. Read. I think everyone says that, but read in the genre you're trying to write. I often meet with writers at conferences and they'll say, I'm trying to write a middle grade novel. And I said, well, what middle grade novels have you read recently that you liked? And they say, well, I haven't read one recently. Then my question is, well, then why are you trying to write this? You need to be familiar with the genre that you're writing, the components that make up good material, what the trends are happening, what's working in that marketplace. So become intimately familiar with those top performing authors, the works that are coming out. I guess that's basically it. Just read. (laughs) read in the area that you want to write and keep trying. Get thick skin because this is not an easy business, right? As agents, we get rejected and we feel the sting sometimes when editors start turning down the material that we're sending out because I feel like I put a lot of my blood, sweat and tears into the work as well. Not as much as the author, but I've taken a gamble by not taking on other projects to take on this. I've spent months and months, sometimes years on a project and for it to not sell or get turned down can be frustrating as well. So you need to develop that thick skin to say, okay, that's fine. I'm going to go on and either revise it or go to a new editor or move on. Just realize that perseverance is key in this business. Yeah. That's the perfect ending. Perseverance is key. (laughs) Thank you so much. I think Jessica has a surprise too. (laughs) Yes. So tell us, what is the book that you keep mentioning? Lizzie Blake's Best Mistake. Oh, fantastic. Best Mistake. Okay, so don't be creeped out, but we have made a list of those of you who are here <laughs> and put you into the randomizer. So we'd love to get a co- give out a copy of this to whoever the randomizer pulls out because it sounds like fun. We like to support good authors. Okay, so the winner is Nancy. Nancy, if you could send an email to academyofmanuscriptwishlist.com, we will send you a copy of this book. Paige, this was amazing. Thank you so much for doing oh. this. Sure. Thank you guys for your great questions. I hope this was helpful and informative. Paige, thank you so much. This thank was you guys. Wonderful. Thanks so Lovely. much. All right. All right. Take care. Hope to hear Have from a good rest of your day, everyone. All righty. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.